0: Hello, everyone. This is Lazarus Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys. And on this week's episode, Ben Gulker and I are joined by Detroit Bad Boys' own Steve Peltier to talk about his NBA draft big board and the prospect he thinks would be the best compliment next to Cade Cunningham. We also talked about a couple of uh, other prospects inside the top 10 that aren't, I think, getting enough discussion. Uh, It was a really interesting conversation with Steve. I'm really glad we had it, and I think you guys will really enjoy it. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, subscribe, and leave comments. Please leave comments on the discussion post on Detroit Bad Boys. That's the best way for us to have the conversation that we want to have around the podcast. In order to do that, though, you have to follow DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be doing because it's the best place on the Internet for Pistons news and analysis this off season. With all that said, it's time to go to work. 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 Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson, pleased, as always, to be joined by my usual co-host, Ben Gulker. Ben, how's it going?
1: It's going good, man. Good to be back. Little, little uh, playoff rest period. That's okay. We can do that, but I'm doing good. Anxious. I'm really looking forward to today's pod. I'm going to learn a lot, so uh, looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, we have uh, joining us from Detroit Bad Boys, Steve Peltier. To talk about uh, just everybody and anybody in uh, the 2022 NBA draft. Steve, how's it going?
2: It's going great here. I was just redoing my big board. We're recording this on April 24th. This is the deadline for, like, underclassmen to declare. So we'll see how it shakes out tomorrow with everybody hopefully finally declaring or not.
0: Yeah. Uh, actually, that that seamlessly transitions me into the first guy I wanted to talk about, which uh, was a guy that neither one of us had on our big boards that we dropped uh, earlier, like a couple weeks ago on Detroit Bad Boys. You should go check those out. Uh, Steve's is much more comprehensive than mine. He goes 100 guys deep. So shout out to Steve because he watches at least 70 dudes that I would just like not, uh, not know about. So, uh, but with that said, one guy that wasn't on, the, on that 100 deep list was Shaden Sharp. And we got a report from Shams Sharania of The Athletic that uh, Shaden Sharp is planning to declare for the 2022 NBA draft. Like you mentioned, I don't think he's actually officially done it yet, uh, but the deadline is coming up. But he will. A tweet from Shams is as good as him declaring in, in my mind. Um, so, Steve, where, where do you think you would have Shaden Sharp on your board?
2: Well, he's number five now. I mean, I've had that kind of in the back of my mind because I was uncertain too. There's like all oh, these reports from his mom saying he was going to stay. Coach Cal tweeted out about it. Like he's planning on being here. And then boom, like you said, Shams' tweet is as good as anything. Right. Um, so number five is where I have him. I put this in our Slack chat on DBB of like, would you guys rather have Shaden Sharp or Chet Holmgren and, um, didn't hear back from everybody, but most everybody did say Chet just because there's such uncertainty with Shaden Sharp, but it's still pretty close. And I mean, there just really isn't that many upside self-creators like Shaden Sharp is. And that's the MO on him is that he can be another self-creator at the shooting guard position. He's like 6'6, 200 ish around there, pretty good athlete. Um, so you just want to take the upside and he doesn't have an injury history, like AJ Griffin. So for me, he's Chad is number four and AJ is six. So Shaden goes right in between the two. Cause I think it's that idea of, okay, here's a guy with actual legitimate upside to be shot creator. And he doesn't have an injury history like AJ.
0: So my, my thing is with him, there's so little to go off of in terms of uh, like, because he didn't play college basketball this year, it's really, it's more difficult for me to evaluate guys just in a high school setting because like everybody anybody who is a nba athlete looks like ridiculous in in high school and so it's it's really difficult for me to um determine you know with and with like a extreme level of confidence that like this guy is going to be a hit uh what what gives you that confidence and a guy like Shaden Sharp.
2: Number one, in basketball, you always bet on pedigree. You know, in the NFL, you can find plenty of guys that are like three star, like zero star recruit. And then four years later, they physically develop in college and become these beasts. And even if you go back and look at, you know, recruiting things of who the five star guys were, it's very rare. You see one that has like just a bunch of dudes that end up being Hall of Famers or like first team in basketball. It's the complete opposite, right? Like Jimmy Butler is probably the anomaly where this isn't a guy that's recruited, he had to go the JUCO route, and then he went to Marquette. He's not very well heralded. He goes number thirty, and then all of a sudden he's a superstar. It's the other way around, like you know LeBron, um, Melo. I mean, even if you think of the '03 draft class. Everybody that's come out, even the ones that you're like, ah, I'm not so sure about this. Like Brandon Boston's a good example. Of this last year, you bet on pedigree. He'd still he still had that skill set. He still had that. Um, behind him and i think it's a lot of development from aau to whatever your high school team is a lot of these guys go to like img or dream city or these places where that's what you do and they call them basketball factories for a reason right you go there to work on your skills and come out the other side montverde is probably the best one not just because they produced our boy cade but i mean that that last team they had with cade was like cade scotty barnes um De'Ron sharp caleb houston and I know I'm forgetting like those or four Moody. guys, but yeah, Moses Moody. See, I always forget that team is still loaded. Um, that it's just like one of those things. And Shaden Sharp comes from that same you know type of background. He's got that five star type recruit. He was at Kentucky, um, so he's had some time there to at least develop. So I don't want to like lamp him, like you know, put him in the you know Kentucky guys because if you're only there for six months. But at the same time, like if they don't just recruit anybody, right? Um, and again, for me, the guys behind him are AJ Griffin at six. Pretty big injury concerns. Good, really good shooter, like amazing shooter, but didn't show much off the bounce. As a defender, you'd think he'd be better like 6'6", six, six, 220, but he just doesn't really use that size. Benedict Matherin, who I'm sure we'll talk about more, super explosive and phenomenal shooter. Um, good man-to-man defender. But again, there's not a lot of upside with like shot creation. I think there's some, I think I'm higher on him than most, but even I won't be like, yeah, he's going to be the next like Eddie Jones or anything like that. And then Tari Easton, Jaden Ivey, Jovich, Duran, Ty Ty, Keegan Murray, um, Dale and Terry running out the rest of that lottery. Again, not a lot of those guys, you're going to be like, Hey, here's the ball go create. Um, or they don't have this kind of all around potential that somebody like a Shaden Sharp, even if it is high school, like you just gotta take the gamble after a while.
0: No, I, I, I get where you're coming from for sure. For me, I think I haven't I need to do my like actual sit down and look at what uh like what Sharp accomplished in high school and what I think he, he's capable of at an NBA level. And but I do think he will be somewhere in like my like five, six, seven range. Um it's gonna be difficult for me to put him like He's gonna be in the same tier for me as like Benedict Matherin, It was a guy who's a lot more proven, a little bit older, but uh, like you like you mentioned, doesn't have the shot creator upside, but is but is more proven, right? Like I I, I have a more I have a much better idea of like what Benedict Matherin is gonna be as a product in the NBA. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'm with you there. But it is I, I'm glad his name is in the draft. Like that just offers uh, even more uh, potential for the Pistons to get. A really solid player wherever they end up drafting and obviously like we're we're talking in advance of the lottery we don't know exactly where the pistons are going to be um yeah but uh, yeah and to, i think for the yeah, pistons
2: but... sorry to cut you off there for the pistons in general like the development here with coach casey and the staff is just so strong and with kate like already coming in and establishing leadership and sadiq and everybody's just kind of bought in i find whoever they pick like i'd be hard pressed to see them not working out in some way just because You know, they come in and and be embraced um, by the culture of what's already here, you know.
0: Yeah, I got I got a little pushback for saying this on Twitter, and I wanted to ask you about it, Steve. Do you think Shaden Sharp would start the year like with the Pistons proper? Or do you think even if he was drafted to like four or five, do you think he'd start the year with the Crews after not, you know, playing any organized basketball or any, you know, high level organized basketball in the last uh, like six months?
2: If you're a lottery pick, you probably have to start even coming off the bench in the NBA. I can't think of a lottery pick recently. Maybe uh, Zaire Williams. Um, I didn't follow him too much, but I know he had some game action. But I, if you're a lottery pick, normally like you're there to play in actual NBA minutes. So that would just be my thing. If he was picked outside the lottery, maybe. But all these lottery guys, GMs, ownership, coaches, they want them to play right away. That's Part of the reason of being in the lottery, I think.
0: No, that, that's fair. That's fair. Um, so, Ben, now I'm going to bring you in and say, like, just philosophically, do you have a problem with drafting a guy in like the top 10 and then sending him down to the G League immediately if you don't think he's ready?
1: <laughs> Oof. That would be, I mean, I don't have a problem with it philosophically if that's what he needs for his development. But uh, my. I think my hesitation would be one step back. Like, I would be super cautious to even draft that guy in the first place. I mean, in my opinion, it, it seems to me like the Pistons are done tanking, right? Like, they've got a bunch of money this summer. They've got a, a high lottery pick now, potential rumors about trading in for another one, that Portland rumor that you've discussed at length, Laz. I mean, maybe if maybe if they do end up with two lottery picks, you, you're more willing to take a chance on a guy like that. Yikes! I mean, the thought of drafting a lottery pick and sending him to the G League just feels like—I don't know—feels like the wrong time. I mean, the, I, do the Pistons have that luxury? I don't know. I feel like they really need to to hit this lottery pick to make the rebuild worth it to to some degree. So, I, ah, man, that would make me extremely nervous.
0: And not 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 keeping him in the G League the entire year, but just oh, sure. yeah, yeah. yeah, just getting him started in the G League just because. You know the the jump from high school to the NBA is so large that I would really like to just cut down on the the gap in between like organized basketball play and just like give that guy like a stepping stone into the NBA. And uh, I think I think Jonathan Kaminga last year was like the seventh overall pick. I'm pretty sure he started the year in Santa Cruz, um, before um, you know, finding a rotation spot at times with the Warriors this season. You know, obviously Golden State. Uh, in a much different situation than the Detroit Pistons, and also obviously, Jonathan Kaminga had G League experience, you know, prior to being drafted by the Warriors. But I, I don't think it's completely like unprecedented for a uh, for even like a, a hot mid to high level lottery guy to spend some time in the G League before uh, before coming to the NBA. But uh, but yeah, no, I mean the the next guy I wanted to ask you about, Steve, was Johnny Davis, and that's because you have Johnny Davis third. On your board I didn't rank Johnny Davis in my top 10 I think it would have him like 11th or 12th or somewhere in there right now but uh, what what you mentioned about the Pistons really needing a shot creator um, to have Johnny Davis at three you must like really really believe in his shot creation like I don't I don't buy it like that so you pitch me pitch me on Johnny Davis as a as a being worthy of a top five pick
2: yeah well not only is shot creation but two-way ability so the first time that The Wisconsin played Purdue like to me that's the single most impressive game anybody in college basketball played because he dropped 37 on Purdue and he held uh, because he's the main guy that guarded Ivy in that game and let me give you some numbers here because I think he held him to like 15 and like he played with him it's pretty impressive it was uh, January 3rd 2022 Let's see, uh, Jaden Ivey had 14 points. He was one of t- one of four from two-point range, two of five from three-point, and he was six of eight from the free-throw line, so he still got to the free-throw line. Three assists, two turnovers. Effectively, they just turned him into a jump shooter, and I think that game kind of made people figure that out of, like, we're going to limit this guy in transition, and we're going to make him shoot threes. And if he didn't hit those two threes, I mean... We're talking single digit points there, right? Yeah. So that I think is another thing too, is that Johnny Davis not only was Wisconsin's whole offense, but he was always the guy that took the most difficult defensive assignment on the other end. That's really rare to find a player that not only can do that, but is willing to do that and like has the focus to consistently do it every single time. Johnny Davis too like his the the part that sucks is like his passing numbers aren't fantastic that's the main thing to me that um, is going to be where like people are going to start he had 66 assists versus 71 turnovers and he had 32.5 percent usage Um, so that's normally like you know (laughs) about red flag and it's definitely something he has to come over but This is a guy that took 130 more shots than Wisconsin's second leading scorer, um, who's Brad Davison. And, like, can you guys even name another guy that was on Wisconsin's team?
0: I mean, I I know his brother, Johnny Davis's brother, is on the team. But, like, I only know that because I know Johnny Davis is on that team. So I get your point, though. Like, he he was that entire Wisconsin offense.
2: Yeah, and the only other guy that was like that this year is Paulo. Like, And Paulo's another one where people are going to immediately start with criticizing his three-point shot. Well, the reason he didn't take many threes is because everybody else took threes, and Paulo's job was to, like, get them open, right? Johnny Davis is the same way. It's like, well, he did miss some passes, but the reason he didn't pass the ball a lot is because – Nobody else is scoring on that team. It, the mandate is him first and foremost. He's also really, really good in certain spots of the floor that I don't think get enough love. He took ninety nine shots at the rim and he shot seventy one point seven percent. That's really good for a guard. Um, and he in the you know kind of baseline areas too, he was ten of twenty six from the right, um, just to the right of the hoop thirty eight point five percent. Not bad. But on the other side, on the left side, um, was 17 of 40 for 42.5%, which is also very good. And he's another guy that, like, he's really good in the mid-range, and that's obviously something that people don't want to talk about as much. But, like, his mid-range 2% uh, fuel goal percentage was 35.6, which is pretty good. Um, And, again, this is late in the shot clock, difficult um, shots he's taking and the main thing to me is like pull up any film on him you'll see him split double teams you'll see him take on triple teams and the rest of his teammates are just kind of standing there doing nothing and the reason they're standing there doing nothing do you want to guess who the best three-point shooter is on this Wisconsin team and like what their percentage was was it was it Davidson it was Davison. He took 225 threes, which is good, but he shot 34.7%. That's the highest percentage out of anybody that took more than 30 threes. Like nobody on this team could hit a three-point shot. The only guy that hit above 34 point, well, technically 34.8, excuse me, was Chucky Hepburn with 112 threes. But again, nobody's hitting 35%. There's one guy, Lauren Bowman, who hit 40% on that team, but he took 3 pointers. So this is a guy that, again, led Wisconsin to a 25 and eight record. Their number three seed in the Midwest, they made it to the second round while he was hurt, no less. By the way, um, I might add that too. So there's just a lot of indicators to me. The two way ability, he can be that point guard defender that we're all asking for with Cade, to where you know we don't want Cade to take on the toughest guard assignment like Johnny Davis is more than willing to do that. So there's that in his bag. And then he was able to create all of this offense almost on his own on a team that I'm not sure would be in like you know the top half of the Big Ten if he wasn't there. So that's the big thing for me. The shooting has to improve definitely. But he got hurt in the Nebraska game. Um, he got a really hard foul by Trey McGowan's, uh, which was March March 6th. Prior to that game, he was shooting. I think 33% from three. Let me give you the numbers here. Yeah, 32.7. Again, not fantastic, but still positive indicator. And after that game, he went into the tank um, with that injury. He took a really bad elbow to the face, came back against your Sparties in the Big Ten tournament, which they ended up losing. He shot three of 19, comes out against Colgate in the tournament. They win that one. He still put up 25, even though he's hurt. He went 8 of 20, and then Iowa State, they lost, and he went 4 of 16. So he did struggle. And if you listen to um, Sam Vicini and Matt Penny Game Theory podcast, they seem to talk about him being hurt somewhere in February, too. I've always been trying to find the, the exact moment, but I can't quite find it. But they every time they talk about him, they always say, like, you have to consider the ankle injury. Um, so he did have an ankle injury he was um, dealing with down the stretch, too. So I think that's something to consider. With his jump shot and his jump shooting, I'm not going to say he's going to, you know, come in and drop 40, but like to be average, 35, 38 percent somewhere, I think is going to be, you know, reasonable to expect, because again, he did not have anybody taking the pressure off of him, and while he didn't have a lot of catch and shoot opportunities, there is data on that. He was, I believe, he's. Let me get to you the numbers here because I just found those the other day too. He was twenty-one of fifty-four, I believe, in the catch and shoot situations, which is uh thirty eight point nine percent. So again, there's there's hope there. And the reason he wasn't in many catch and shoot situations is because he's one that needs to score.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I I hear you, I hear you. And I was definitely going to mention the shooting as part of my concern with Davis. Um And like, in my mind, if you're going to be this like really amazing on ball creator for a college team, like one of the easy one of the ways you can make that easy on yourself is being able to stretch a defense by like making off the dribble threes. And that was something I really just like didn't see enough of from Johnny Davis. Um, Like and like you mentioned, the catch and shoot stuff like he was their whole offense. I'm not going to uh I'm going to credit him for for that um, and not not ding him because he can't take uh, because he didn't get enough easy shots. Like that's not his fault. That's a fault of the the situation. But the the shooting indicators just like did not look. Uh, they weren't like super super appealing to me. Like I I like Davis. I, that's not true. I don't really like Davis. Um, <laughs> I think <laughs> I think he ends up. I think he ends up like a a like bench scoring type and like I would be I would be okay with that if we got like a second lottery pick like like we're talking about. But you know, in a draft where we're hoping for a top three pick, to me it's just like even even you like you mentioned he outplayed Jaden Ivey in their matchup. And like I'm not a, a huge, huge fan of Jaden Ivy either. But uh and Jaden Ivey like also has his shooting struggles. Um, but at least, like, there was a stretch of games where Jaden Ivey, like, was really effective as a shooter. Uh, and, like, so we have that to, like, to go on. Um, and we never really got that stretch from Johnny Davis. He reminds me a lot of, like, just, like, a worse version of Jalen Suggs. And I know that's probably just because, like, they're both, like, 6'5", light-skinned, shot-creator type dudes. And it's, like, I'm probably doing that uh, subconsciously like even even Jalen Suggs right had that like seven three game against Iowa where people could point to and say like oh hey like if you know like he can shoot like he made seven threes in a game like that that is really impressive like Johnny Davis never had the like you know the game where he made five threes right like uh, against like Rutgers or somebody right like it, it, we just never saw him uh make the game easy on himself in that way and so it's, it's like it's tough for me to project that when he like never even uh, really like attempted to put it on film, and so yeah, that's, I
2: think yeah. part of it is just he's mandated it and he's wired to be in attack mode. Like he made it. The other part of it is he made it to the line. He made 196 yeah, trips. He did. To the free he, throw did line and he
0: was really good at getting the line
2: yeah. for sure. So I think that's part of the reason why I like him most. And while yes, I want Kane to have the ball, I also would like another player to attack the way that Johnny Davis does because it's really. Been Jeremy Grant, right? That has been able to consistently get to the free throw line. Sadiq went up and down. But again, I don't think that's his forte long term. And I'm, (laughs) you know, me, I'm the biggest Sadiq guy. I had him number two in that draft coming out. So Cade will get there. But I think if they had another guy to consistently put pressure on the rim and to free up Cade for more three point opportunities and stuff like that, then, you know, all for it. Now, a lot of these guys in this draft. That's what I like because like if you can find somebody that's always in attack mode like that, that's something you can't teach. It's it's hard to get somebody to be wired to like just go to the rim, not be afraid of contact, and to be able to handle it the way Davis does. If there's uh, one thing I can point out for like people that are interested, um the box in one YouTube channel put out by Adam Spinella, Coach Space. Great great did,
0: YouTube channel. Great call yeah, out. Yeah,
2: absolutely. So he did a really good breakdown of Johnny Davis, who I think He always does this like keep it real of like giving the actual flashes versus things that need to work on. And if they're bad, he'll just come out and say it's bad. But if they are things that just need to be worked on, then they can do it. And I think he does the best job of showing Johnny Davis's physicality and being able to use his broad shoulders, both on the offensive and defensive end. That make a big difference to me. And especially the shot creating ability is what puts him just ahead of somebody like Chet.
0: Yeah, let's let's actually let's talk about Chet you you had chet four I had chet one that's not that's not that big a gap if we're being honest with like where we are uh in this draft class um but you you said your concerns around chet were basically that you don't know if he can function like as a hub of the offense uh for for a team and like and if you're drafting a guy that high like he should be able to be like a 20 point per game guy and you don't know if chet is that did I get did I get that right? Is is that your like own major and only concern with Chet, or do you have like other things like the, the frame concerns, obviously? And
2: uh No, like the I'll just cut off the size concerns and the strength stuff. Like I just you know put the article through for Detroit Bad Boys, so be on the lookout for that. But Ooh. that's where I begin the article, because I think a lot of that is overblown. And on the Pistons Pulse, when they had Jeremy Wu on, he would said it best of like there's the pro pro uh, chat and the anti chat camp, and nobody can find a middle ground. And a lot of the anti chat camp is just like, look at how skinny he is, and it's like he faced Jalen Duran, Mark Williams, and Paolo, Jalen Williams, Arkansas, Jaime Hockes, and Cody Riley at UCLA, Trey Mitchell of Texas. These are all guys that are like at least 240, 220, known for being physical. There's not a single instance of him being played off the court, so like that just needs to be thrown out there. He always understands how to use his length he's one of the best prospects i've ever seen at like just understanding how lanky he is and consistently using that against anybody and everybody and that makes a huge difference on defense so i don't have any of those type of concerns number one the the main thing is on the offensive side i think he's like unicorn right is the term everybody's been thrown out for him Mm-hmm. mainly because of shooting, but I think that the shooting isn't as good as people have made it out to be. From January 8th until February 10th, nine games, he was 20 of 34 from deep, which is 58.8%. Fantastic. It's nine games though. The other 23 games he played, he was 21 of 71 from deep, which is 29.6%. I'm not saying he can't shoot. Again, going back to the box and one, they, he does another great... Um, breakdown of that he says streaky shooter I think that is right too like he really went in the tank down the stretch too from February to March Chet shot 23.5% in his final nine games so that really dragged down his overall percent so again I don't think he's a bad shooter I just think he's streaky and people are making it out like he's just gonna you know come in there and knock down 40% really easily when there was that 9 game stretch that really inflated his percentage and during that 9 games they weren't exactly playing the best competition no offense to the wcc
0: yeah no, i think i think that's totally fair
2: yeah the other part's about it too is like people make these dribble saying he's got this dribble game like i can tell you all of his moves when he runs in transition he's going to go behind the back right to left that he's going to cross you over and then try and dunk it when he's in the half court, he's going to drive right, he's going to spin left, and then try and finish over people. Like Everybody figured that out by the end of the year. He has a super high dribble. Guards ended up undercutting it um, and being able to figure it out. And Biggs ended up being like, oh, I'm just going to stand back off of him and not let him contact me to get out of that spin. On uh, He had very few pick-and-pop situations, too, is the other thing, because I know Sean Corp, shout out our editor, Sean Saying he liked him in pick and pop situations, he only had 13 of those possessions all, all season, and he was one of 13 on those. So it is a small sample size, but you would like to have him hit more than half of those, right? Yeah, um, it's just not that great. And again, in the box in one breakdown, he shows very well like how mechanical he is when somebody closes out pretty hard on his three point shot, he doesn't have a sidestep. He doesn't really attack that well once somebody closes out super hard. That's going to be really difficult to really project. He only took 12 dribble jumpers all season two, and he made four of them. Again, super small sample size, but you would like to have had it more, uh, you know, at a higher percentage.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely like people, you know, in high school. People said like, oh, he's the next Kevin Durant and stuff. And I like that is definitely not the case. Right. Like he's definitely not going to be a, a guy who takes a bunch of dribble or takes a bunch of shots from the mid-range off the dribble. And that's how he gets the the bulk of his offense. Like that is just like that's not who he is. Um and you you're talking about the the box and one. Um, recap of of what chet was able to accomplish this season something that that really illustrated to me was how many of chet's threes were like trail threes in transition like i i definitely think that's like that's a useful skill to have but you can't like build an offense out of trail threes in like semi-transition right like that you you won't you can't like base the fact that you have an offense on like getting like you know four or five of those uh a game right and so i i'd you brought up the pick and pop numbers. It's like you would have liked to see more opportunities for him to get uh, a rhythm in pick and pop. And like when you when I watched his pick and pop stuff, it was always his feet, right? His feet were always um, and his feet weren't quite set uh, in the way that uh, you'd, you'd like him, you'd like them to be. Um, but at yeah, the same... I agree.
2: His footwork is kind of off in a lot of three point stuff. But again, I don't think that's a super hard fix. Some guys yeah. figure it out. Some guys don't. But yeah, it's better than being like, oh, his whole form is terrible.
0: Right. And I don't know. I, I just I think he ends up even as like I'm watching the Milwaukee Bucks play the Bulls like right now. It's like even as you think about it, like Brooke Lopez, he had like two years where he shot, you know, 40 percent from three. Um, and even now, is like a 34 percent from three guy as a guy who's able to be as impactful as he is defensively and still stretch the floor. Occasionally, that opens up so many other things for the rest of the offense that you can have a guy. Uh, you can have a guy like a, a Chris Middleton or like a Giannis uh like be able to to attack the rim with with that space um, and it puts a lot of pressure on a guy like Nikola Vucevic to to cover that much ground um like obviously the Pistons don't have Giannis or Chris Middleton um but Cade, but Cade comes pretty close and I would like the ability to open things up for Cade inside and not sacrifice anything defensively. And, and that's the thing that I I, like is just really impressive to me with Chet is, is his defense, right? Like you, you mentioned him him knowing how to use uh, his length. Um, And a lot of it what really impressed me when I was watching him was just his timing, right? For, for a guy that, that tall and that long uh, to have the, the timing necessary to affect like shots on the perimeter, um, not knowing like, you know, knowing what he's capable of closing out on guys is just, it was just really impressive to me. He really stood out defensively. And so that's, that's a huge part of the reason why I'm uh, I'm so in on chat, but I do. I'm so glad you brought up the numbers about the shooting though, because I do think like though, like if, if I had to point to anything, that like made me concerned with Chet like long-term, it would it would be that. Chet is a much less interesting prospect if he's like a 31, 32% shooter from three for his career if he as yeah. opposed to like a 36, 37% guy.
2: Yeah, but if I'm being honest, like the main thing with me is screens. Like he's, he's listed at seven foot, 195. Gonzaga didn't use him too much as a screener. There's film on it, but what's there is inconsistent at best. Um, it's hard to be a screener when you're that skinny, right? And if he's not going to be able to get separation, especially for this team where Cade Cunningham's leading the way, Sadiq's still there, uh, Killian's probably still in the mix for something, right? These are not guys that you're going to break you down off the dribble too often. They like to operate out of pick and roll. They operate best out of pick and roll. If Chet can't be in that kind of a system, then quite frankly, I don't want him, you know, because that's going to be the biggest thing. I do think, however, he fits perfectly with Beef Stew on the defensive end because Beef Stew isn't a rim protector, right? What he needs is that guy behind him to clean up stuff, and Chet does a phenomenal job with that. And what Chet needs is somebody who's got strength and girth to handle you know, bigger, stronger dudes that you want to keep him away from being able to be overmatched at times. You know, I don't think, again, he's going to get played off the court because he didn't show any of that. But you still don't want him on even somebody like a Nikola Vucevic every night, or a Demontis Sabonis who will yeah. be able to just you know post him up every time and take him away from what he does best, which is clean up stuff uh, on the weak side.
0: All right, Steve. The the next guy I wanted to ask you about was uh, Nikola Jovic, not Jokic. Jovic. Got to get man. Got to make sure we get Jovic. 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 It's a V. Uh, but you had him top 10 and I think you had him 10th. You have him 10th or ninth? One of those. You had him like top 10. But yeah, I have top.
2: him 10. I, I had him five and then I started watching more games and he's been going down the board. I still like him a lot, but um, yeah. yeah. And it was, I not I, but I, yeah. still
0: like 10 is higher than I've seen him, right? I've seen him in like the, the low teens and like the twenties and in some places, uh, you know, what, what makes you elevate a guy like that? Um, You know, all the way up to ten, and and, and I know you. You know, he might be falling, but he's still falling from a really high position. Like, what? What made you put him so high initially?
2: He's six foot ten, two hundred five, and he essentially plays shooting guard for Mega, the team he plays for now. Uh, If you look at his FIBA U nineteen film, too, he led the team in points and rebounds, and he was like third in assists. This is a legitimate pick and roll creator at six foot ten, two hundred five. Like, you just have to take chances on those guys. And shout out Scott. I'm going to say something that makes him upset probably, but like, he's what people wish Poku was, you know, Poku's still, <laughs> developing, still developing along the way. And I still like Poku, but Jovic is playing in the Adriatic league, same league, you know, Jokic played at. Um, and I think our guy Bolcha is playing there too. He plays actually Jovic plays with Malcolm Kazalon, who's another, you know, NBA hopeful um, who's been around a while, but he operates in the pick and roll he can create their uh, dump out assists he's also their leading three point shooter he's their main floor spacer there for mega and i can give you some numbers here in just a second but it's the size and skill is the what i always like to say is you just have to bet on guys like this after a while that you just don't see many 6 foot 10 205 pound guys being able to operate like a guard and being their main floor spacer for their professional adult team, too, right? That has to be taken into account. This is a guy that is 18 years old. He won't turn 19 until January or June 9th, excuse me. And this is somebody who his team consistently relies on to space the floor and to operate out of pick and roll. Currently, he uh, is. Shooting 33.6% from three and 27 games, he's taking 4.8 or a game, so you know pretty good volume as well. And let me try and find the points for you. He's scoring 11.4, 11.5 ish points per game, and he's dishing out 3.4 assists versus 2.8 turnovers. So again, six foot ten. Looks like he's listed at 209 now, so he's added a little weight. This is somebody that. Those skills and that size, you just don't find too many people like that. And when you put him up against somebody like Ty Ty Washington, Ty Ty is fantastic. I'm sure we'll talk about the Cal clamps too with the Kentucky contingent, but Ty Ty ain't 6'10", so there's some shots that are going to get swatted and there's just some things physically that Jovic, you know, has a clear and far away advantage on than somebody like Ty Ty.
0: No, I think that's fair. I actually wasn't going to ask about Ty Ty. I'm not super interested in Ty Ty. I didn't have Ty Ty.
2: <laughs> Nobody is, man. Poor Ty Ty.
0: I mean, it's it's not his fault, but uh, that this is like a very guard-like class, and that he still could not make a big impact in it. And it is not a uh, not a great sign for his future prospects. Absolutely.
2: Well, just quickly on Ty Ty, like when these Kentucky guards stop working out in the NBA, I will stop ranking them highly. That's all I have to say. Like, there's <laughs> just too much of a track record of of these guys who were like oh, I don't know if Maxi's is going to be good, uh Quickly's kind of whatever. Uh, yeah, it goes all the way back to Eric Bledsoe too. Like when that stops happening, then I'll stop betting in them. But I that's, take Ty just for that fact.
0: That's that's fair. That's fair. Uh so there was one guy you brought up in Slack like before like uh, a couple hours before we were slated to talk and I had no idea who this guy is. So I'm just going to ask you like who is Leonard Miller and why do I care that he declared for the 2022
2: NBA draft? So Leonard Miller is a Ford. He was measured at hoop summit. According to our guy, Scott, uh, who found the shout out Scott, uh, FL on DBB, uh, who's measured. Leonard Miller is measured in at six foot, nine and three quarter inch barefoot. So he's a tall wing, seven foot two wingspan. Somebody who has been recruited by Kentucky, uh, Arizona, and a lot of other places wasn't sure what he was going to do, but then he decided he's going to declare for the draft and maintain his eligibility as well. So I don't know how to do with him yet, but the reason we should be interested is just what I talked about with Yilvich. This is a guy that is six is 6'10"-ish range and is an actual shot creator and somebody who looks like they have the ball handling and the ability to create off the dribble. So in a draft where we don't have many people outside of top 20 that we feel confident about. Like this is somebody that might end up in the lottery just based off of his size and skill.
0: Like, no, I, I I totally think that's fair. I, these six ten uh, wing types are always definitely intriguing, but I'm always like, is this guy the next Isaiah Todd? And like Isaiah Todd is a guy I liked when he played for the ignite. Right. But he, I think he was drafted in the thirties. And like played like okay, not great, but okay for the go go in DC. And it's just like I mean, maybe he's a guy, maybe he's not. Right? Is I don't I don't love. uh It's like if 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 the guy is uh he needs to be exceptional as like a shooter or as a as a defensive player, or in, he needs to be exceptional at some way in order to make an impact. You can't just. You can't just live on the NBA on the fact that you're like 6'10 and can move really well, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, I agree. And again, like, apologies, I don't have any numbers because he just declared yeah, he so just declared. was like really yeah, I don't, into it. You. Yeah, so, but I'm looking at the board here and like, I'm sure there's somebody that's going to take him over like Akbaji, Branham, Hardy, Harrison Ingram, Caleb Houston, Alondas yeah. Williams, Max Christie. Man, I'm sure Houston, there's people that Caleb are going to take him over that. Go back to school. <laughs> Hey, as a Michigan alumni, I agree, not just because I want to see him there as well, but yeah, he's got a lot to work on, yeah, for sure
0: uh so so Steve, the thing I wanted to ask you was in in your mind, which player in like the top ten, top fifteen best compliments or amplifies like what Kate Cunningham has to offer? because I think that is really the question that we're trying to answer at the top of this year's draft. It's like, who can we get? Uh, it's like, we, you know, we, we have a lot of... We have cap space and free agency. We'd love to be able to sign a max guy to put next to Cade and, like, immediately kickstart everything. No guarantee of that. It was like... But so if we're going to build this thing organically, who was the best fit next to Cade Cunningham?
2: I mean, it's probably Jabari, right? Just because of the shooting and the ability to switch on defense. Like, he would fit good next to Beef Stew, who... You know he has length over Beef Stew and can um, protect the rim a little bit more than him. Although it's a little hard to tell because Walker Kessler—that's all he did there in Auburn. But the shooting ability opens up more driving lanes for Kate, so he can be just one one of the corners above the break. And also, you know, the main knock on Jabari right now is that you know he can't create of himself. Well, fantastic—he doesn't need to here with Kate and with Sadiq even being able to do it. And even when Killian, if he comes off the bench or if he starts, like he can get him easy shots. I think just that like nice combination of being an actual good defender uh, as at the other big man spot and being a what seems to be 40 percent three point shooter, like legitimate difference making floor spacer somewhat in the mold of like a Jaron Jackson. Right. That would probably be the comp if I had to make one, although I'm still like kind of hemming and hawing of who the exact comp I want with Jabari. But that would be the closest one. of A big guy that's a difference maker on defense and is mainly a floor spacer on offense. I think he's the best one out of the bunch.
0: Yeah, I I compared Jabari to like the the version of LaMarcus Aldridge you would get if LaMarcus Aldridge was born 20 years later. And I like that because Aldridge was like the occasional driver, the occasional like pick and roll player, but like really what made him lethal was the ability to stretch the defense from like 20 feet and in and also uh, be able to like move his feet defensively, play next to another big man um, and still like impact the perimeter and the glass. Right. Like he was always a really good rebounder. Um, I, I see a lot of that in Jabari. I just worry that, you know, man cannot live on tough, you know, 18 footers alone. Right. Like you need to be able to get to the free throw line. Jabari did draw a good number of free throw attempts on like guys fouling him on jump shots just because like that's that's what he shoots. Um, But I, you know, I would like somebody who just created easier buckets with a little bit more alacrity
2: than uh, than Jabari Smith Jr. actually ended up doing.
0: But I I, I totally agree with that. He's a good he's a good player.
2: Yeah, again, it's why I make the the Jaron Jackson like thought is because he was viewed as like the safe prospect in that draft coming out right at number four, of like oh, I'm not sure he's going to have like a tremendous amount of upside, but I'm also certain this guy is going you know, to consistently space the floor and be a really good starter and a really good defender for a very long time. But I kind of feel that that way with Jabari too, and you know I still have Paulo number one, obviously, but. I could see a world in which, you know, the, the fit with he and Kate of like having to share the ball might be a little bit goofy. I don't think that would be the case. But uh, again, if you're saying like, if I had to pick one, it would be Jabari just because of what he does. And I could definitely see a easier progression of like, okay, year one, you're just shooting threes, attacking closeout, setting screens. Great. Second year, maybe you add a little bit more of an off the bounce game, maybe the third year you're adding like a post move or whatever. Is something that with the guys that are already here it doesn't have to like, you know, go and create a whole bag in an off season, you know.
0: Yeah. No, I I get you. And you know, what the the Pistons were able to do with Sadiq this offseason in, you know, building up his floor as a guy who can attack the rim and you feel comfortable with with the ball in his hands. Um, like that's not something I really ever expected Sadiq to show um the like amount of improvement he did over just the course of a single season. Was uh was like really impressive, and so you 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 could lay out a lot of the same track for Jabari, and hopefully he would follow a, a similar path. Maybe you know you don't hope it would take him, or uh, maybe you don't expect it would only take him a season or two. Like maybe you know you think of it more in, in stages as like a three or four season experiment, but at the same time, like he's hopefully giving you you know forty percent high high thirties percent from three on top of that, um mm-hmm. at the same time, and so you you know you have the runway in order to do that um Mm -hmm. yeah it'd be it'd be really interesting to see those guys uh together for sure um all right steve the the last thing i wanted to ask you is like what what do they do at 46 because like i i don't know man like that does it matter but i but i know you have guys who you think would be great fits for the pistons at 46. it's like who are they
2: i mean david roddy i don't know if he'll last to 46 but he's definitely somebody like and when you talk about late first early second rounders He'd be the one that I would uh, definitely be lobbying for the hardest, and I know Bryce of Motor City Hoops is a big David Roddy guy. So, shout out to Bryce. David Roddy, six foot five, two hundred and fifty-two pounds, so he's a big dude. Probably the, I don't know that he is PJ Tucker, but this is like the PJ Tucker type of player that you know people are trying to find. He scored nineteen point two points per game this season at Colorado State. He shot sixty-two percent. From two point range, 43.8% from three, and then 69.1% from the free throw line. He led Colorado State in shot attempts, in rebounds, in blocks, and I think that was it. So he's definitely gotten a yes. nice all around skill set. Yeah, and even the, when you the, go on. 6'5,
0: 250 guy who shoots 60% from the floor and 40% from three. Like that is definitely a, a weird, funky dude who I'm interested in.
2: Yeah, and I'll write like a breakdown of him this off season, Ooh. and I'm already going to spoil this part and put his shot chart next to Chet's shot chart, and you're going to be like, oh man, this is like, this would be <laughs> awesome if Chet shot this way as well, because David Roddy was the main offender, offensive creator for you know Colorado State as well. So yeah, some off the bounce game, and even when you look on his basketball reference page, you list him at guard. So, like they don't even really know what to do with him a lot of times. But he's this mismatch guy that's gonna block shots, that's gonna be able to defend three through five probably, and knock down threes at a really high rate, hopefully. So he'd be somebody I'd be invested in for sure. And there are a lot of big guys, I think, in the second round. I'm definitely a team, don't spend a first round pick on a on a center um, as well. Chat, I view more as a power forward than a center, even though I think there's some instances where he can play center. But there are a bunch of guys in the second round that I think are really worth looking into. Isaiah Mobley, um, Evan Mobley's brother coming out of USC. He's a really good passer, pretty good shooter as well. Uh, Pete Nance, Larry Nance Jr.'s brother, Larry Nance's other son who played at Northwestern. Uh, Being a Sparty fan, I don't know if you saw him a bit. I remember watching him against Michigan in a couple ways. A good shooter, really good like DHO guy uh, as well. Coloco, Christian Coloco, my guy here at Arizona, uh I don't know if he'll blast to the second round, but he's another guy that I would be interested in. Seven foot one, two twenty-five. Ismail Kamagate and him kind of are similar. And Kamagate is another guy I would be, you know, really interested in. He's like 6'11, 220. Both guys are super energetic, super fluid, like they don't move like big men. They are uh, really move well. And Kamagate just has this nonstop motor that is infectious. He'd be somebody that I would definitely also be interested in as well. And Ibubaji, Ibubaji, still out there. Shout out to my guy Rafael Barlow of NBA Big Board. He's been on the Ibubaji train for a long time because he's seven foot two, some like two thirty or whatever. Incredibly athletic for for a big guy. He just does things that you would be like, ah. Uh. And I'm sure if you showed Cade some film, he'd be like, yeah, give me that guy because I need that kind of a lob threat for yeah. sure.
0: Yeah, right, Ben, welcome back to the podcast. I'm still Hi, here is there is there anybody on uh like on Michigan that you think would be interesting for the Pistons with that second round pick? Oh.
1: I don't know, man. I don't know if I believe a whole lot in this particular group's NBA potential. Um Don't kill me for saying that, Steve.
2: Oh, it's all good. No, I'm the same way. Keep it real. I mean, I think there's a reason why Jawan Howard got frustrated there in the season.
1: Yeah, I don't know, man. I, I'm not sure. Cannon. I, I like what they did with Livers, you know, last year. I don't. I don't know if lightning strikes twice, though. To be perfectly honest.
0: No, I think that's fair. I I was wondering if you were going to say Brooks. Um, Brooks would be a nice like Sabin Lee replacement if you really felt like you needed to replace Sabin Lee. But uh, yeah. I'd,
2: I I love Eli too. And Mason Brew over at SB Nation, there's a guy named Kellen Voss that writes there. He and I go back and forth on Eli Brooks. We're pretty like bullish, but even I, even I'm like, yeah, undrafted free agent, but he'd definitely be somebody I'd want like in a training camp because he's just an all-around passer, defender, shooter. No,
0: for sure. Steve, thank you so much for coming on and lending your scouting eye and area of expertise. Uh, Steve is criminally underfollowed on Twitter, so let's remedy that. Uh, where can the people find you and uh, on Twitter, and where can they like read uh, more about like you know who you got coming up uh, for the Detroit Pistons?
2: Yeah, so I'm at Borke Worldwide. Uh, I'm from Albuquerque originally, so you know just the back half of of uh, Albuquerque. That's what we call ourselves there. Borke uh, at Borke Worldwide on Twitter and on Instagram there. I'll usually share my stuff on both um, platforms there. Occasional tweeter, although I'm not somebody that wants to be heard that much. I more identify with the Kendrick Lamar line and I'm going to shine like I'm supposed to antisocial extrovert. So don't expect too much out of me there. Uh, otherwise look out DBB stuff. Definitely going to be try to put out stuff uh, once a week. Just looking at different guys here. Um, so yeah, that's it. DBB on Twitter and Instagram, Borke Worldwide. Look out for me.
0: No, thank again. Thanks again for coming on. Really appreciate it, uh, Ben. Uh, I know that I'm glad that we were able to just like soak up a lot of Steve's information. Yeah, man. It was a, it's it was good a stuff. quiet podcast for you. I hope you're okay with that. Uh, <laughs> let the people know where they can find you and what uh, where they can find what you're going to work on for uh, for us
1: this off season. Yeah, I'm really glad today, Steve, that you were able to come on and and share all this. This is awesome stuff. Uh, yeah, I'm Yark- going to have
2: to be back because I want to quiz you guys on stuff, too, for sure.
1: Oh, well, I'll, in that spirit, then I'll just say I think you're wrong about Chet. So we'll just we'll leave it there for now.
2: Yeah, yeah. I'm ready to fight anybody on that.
1: <laughs> I think a lot of his weaknesses can be coached up. It's my only concern is the body, but we've I've talked about that on here before. At B.R. Galker, yeah, on yeah. Twitter. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to the lottery. We're not too far away from it, right? And after we know how all of those uh, lottery balls shake out. We'll have some more concrete conversations about uh, who the pick ought to be. So that'll be fun.
0: No, I agree hundred percent. I can't, I can't wait for the lottery to start. Um, and of course you can follow me on Twitter at last chance. That's at L a Z C H a N C E. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Detroit bad boys podcast. And we will talk to you all sometime in the future, maybe after the lottery, when we know more about like where the pistons are actually going to draft. All right, this was fun. Talk to you guys later. Bye-bye.